Hello and welcome to episode 8 of The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Today's episode occasionally involves discussion of some ideas that you might not want little ears to be hearing just yet. Perhaps a good one to listen to on your own or with your headphones in. Well, you may have heard of Melinda Tankard-Reist. She's written and edited a number of books and heads up an organisation called Collective Shout. Collective Shout is a grassroots collective aimed at campaigning against the objectification and sexualisation of women and girls in the Australian media, advertising and popular culture. If you just think back to your last walk through a shopping centre and past the advertising, shop windows and magazines that you saw, you'll realise that this work of Collective Shouts is really important and one I'm really glad to be talking about with Melinda on the Lydia Project today. Yeah, we're at the Brisbane Domestic Terminal, so there's a bit of background noise and there might be some announcements, but that's okay. It's been crazy busy and so this is the time we are squeezing in. Mm -hmm. So Melinda, I know that you are really busy, but I get a sense that you love what you do Mm. and you're pretty passionate about it. Yes. Um, So how did you get started? how did Collective Shout start? Mm-hmm. Because I know you're a founding member of it. Yeah, well, it's um, a privilege to do the work I do. I wake up every day and think, how did I get so so lucky to be able to write and engage in campaigns and, and activism every day and see things change, see things happen, work with some of the best people in the country, if not globally. How we started Collective Shout for a World Free of Sexploitation began when... A contributor to my third book, Getting Real, Challenging the Sexualization of Girls, Tanya Andrusiak, who had written on her own battles with body image issues, wrote to me after the book came out and said, your book is a collective shout against the pornification of culture. And I loved the title. I love what she said so much that I decided to start a movement just to have an excuse to use the name (laughs) Collective Shout. At the time, a lot of people were saying, look, we know what the research says. Uh, we're aware of the harms, but where is the grassroots movement against sexualization, objectification, pornography? Uh, people were asking me, what can they do after reading my third book? Mm-hmm. And so it was a combination of them asking and Tanya writing to me with the phrase collective shout uh, that I decided to start the movement, and that was eight years ago. Okay, so it's grown a lot in eight years. Sure has. I actually didn't know it was that young. That's fantastic. Really? Yeah. I thought you were going to say you didn't know it was that old. No. So 75,000 members. Well, they're not all formal members. So um, it's people that have signed up through various social media platforms as well as uh, through our website. But we we really want people to sign up through the website because then we have all their details and they can get our newsletters and be more directly engaged with what's going on. Yep. Yep. And so, like... Activism, was that something that started early for you or yes. was it just sort of a natural career progression or how did you get into it? Um, well, I've been an activist since I was about 17 years of age and my first cause was actually Wales. Uh, I wanted to save Wales. In fact, I still do. I'm hoping I can still sign up with Greenpeace and go out and blow up whaling ships. I'm hoping it's not too late for that. But that was really the first my first cause and then that branched out into concerns about the treatment of of women and girls globally and I've worked as a journalist and I've worked in in politics and I've been able to uh, pursue my my passions through those things. Uh, Probably my first cause really was uh, 
the issue of women who were pregnant and didn't have support. So I started a housing service for women who were pregnant and didn't have support. Uh, well, I didn't start it, I was with other women who started it. And uh, that's been very successful now in helping to support uh, women who would have otherwise been unsupported through, through pregnancy. And that branched out to body image, sexualization of girls, objectification of women and pornography and prostitution. Because it is connected, isn't it? They're all interconnected. Yeah. Yes. And it's, I mean, at its heart, it's people not valuing women. That's correct. Would you say? And yes. Exploiting them. Correct. That's yeah. at the heart of many, yeah. most human rights violations against women and girls. Yeah. And there is a war on women. You know, if you look at what's happening globally, female feticide, female infanticide, 50 million girls are estimated to be missing in the world. Yeah. Dowry deaths, bride burning female uh, child marriage, child bride marriage, child brides, which is just a misnomer, we shouldn't even use those terms. It's really child sexual assault under the guise of marriage. Well, slavery really, yes, isn't it? Yes, yes. And if you look at the millions of women and girls bought and sold around the world, mm. if you look at uh, all those issues, female genital mutilation is another one. We have to acknowledge there's a war on women. And yes, it does begin with an attitude that women are expendable, that they're they exist uh, primarily for sexual gratification and, and pleasure of men. Mm. And so your kind of core belief that women have value and need to be treated with value, um, where does... Like, that radical that... core belief, <laughs> radical <Yeah>. concept. <laughs> where does that How did you get from? such a crazy idea? <laughs> well, where did you get such a crazy... I mean, where did that become something that you decided you would fight for? Like, did it was it growing up in your home or things that you saw when mm. you were a teenager? Well, certainly things I saw. I grew up in a country town and uh, I saw the, the mistreatment of many different women from uh, Indigenous women with black eyes uh, through to a student in year 10 being taken out of school, an uh, Italian student, to get, to get married uh, to, I suppose, so, yeah, just seeing women treated as second class in so many ways and then I, I became a journalist and I, I travelled globally and, and saw the second class status of women around the world. Initially when I was growing up I didn't have the language to articulate what I was seeing. Uh, I also had experienced some um, sexual harassment myself but I didn't have the language around it. I was quite young and I uh, it was sort of years later that I'm looking back now that I can see the formative experiences that led me uh, to become a feminist and to uh, fight for fight for women and girls. Also, I, I have three daughters, and that um, took it to a whole another level, a more intimate, personal level. When you see uh, the way the culture is trying to shape and impact your own daughters in harmful ways, uh, you know you become even more. Are committed, I think, to try to change things for them. Mm. I know you do lots of things, school talks, conferences, political lobbying, parliamentary submissions. Um, which are the things that kind of, you know, where in all of that do you kind of get a bit of a buzz and where, you know, where does it just mm. feel really... Well, I love hard? everything I do and, and I really love the adrenaline rush when we're running a campaign yep. and we start to win, when you start to notice a shift and you think, you know, we are going to win this. So that can be pretty exciting. 
you know, and when it can we happen really quickly, really can't fast. It? Yeah. Sometimes we've had a win in fifteen minutes on social media. Yeah. Fifteen minutes was the record. Um, and do you worry that our culture might kind of, you know, that's that's this year's pet topic that lots of people are in, involved in, and then they'll move on? Or? No, I don't think so. I've, yeah. I think there's a shift now in the conversation. Sexualization mm. now is a thing. Mm. Palms of pornography now is a thing. Those things weren't even in the public lexicon five years ago, uh, and now they are. Uh, so I do get a, a rush when we're in the midst of a big campaign and it's going our way and and, and we win. Yeah. But if you ask me what is my favourite of all, it's talking to girls and seeing them joining the dots, seeing them recognise that this culture is sending them harmful messages about themselves, about their bodies, about sexuality. I deconstruct cultural messages that they're getting. I, I show them about 200 images from toys, games, music videos, clothing, magazines, marketing, billboards, and help them to see how they are being shaped in harmful ways and they're absorbing toxic messages from the culture. And when girls write to me and say, how hearing this message has changed, changed their lives. Uh, I had one, one young woman write to me recently and say she actually planned to take her life. And then, because she said men had mistreated her all her life and she thought she was worthless and nothing. And uh, she heard me speak and, and decided to not take her life. So that was probably the most rewarding piece of correspondence I've ever had in my existence. Yeah. But I regularly hear from, from girls. It's just such a privilege to speak to them and uh, to see them uh, decide to take action you know it'll be their generation that turns it around it's my generation that screwed it up but, but I believe they'll be the ones that change it and I'm doing more mentoring of, of young women now and seeing them take the message out there and engaging campaigns and recognize that they have a, a place in the public square to speak out and to influence other young people as well so there's a lot of rewards you know yes we get beaten up all the time and smacked around and vilified and uh, subjected to threats. I don't read comments. I haven't yeah. put my name into a search engine for probably five years. Yeah. And I don't Look, read I comments. Look, I did, and it wasn't too bad. It, you've got a Wikipedia article. <laughs> I haven't looked at that. And that's good. Uh, as in it is good. Mm. And um, there was an article that someone did. You know, the worst that you were called, no, it wasn't the worst, but you were called a wowser. Mm. Um what was no, I've been mean, called worse than that. Yeah, right. I know. Well, how, I mean, do you just ignore the haters? Is that how well, you look, Paul deal with Paul Keating it? used to say, it's one of my favourite quotes ever, the dogs may bark but the caravan rolls on. So I just have this idea of the caravan just rolls on through town, the dogs are yipping at the tyres, but the caravan's just set on its purpose, it knows where it's going, just keeps on going. That's not to say that sometimes it doesn't um, hurt. You know, I'm human, and sometimes the level of slander... Uh, in vilification is quite extreme but you know I have to keep my eye on the main goal and you know if we weren't having an effect at collective shout uh, they wouldn't be rising up against us you know so I like to see it as just um, a response uh, to like why why are they threatened if we weren't having success why are they threatened why would the sex industry come and picket all my book launches try to have me deplatformed from major events get us kicked out of a conference room at a domestic violence service, threatening threatening violence actually, why would they go to the lengths they do uh, if we weren't seen as a, as a, as a threat? So exactly. that's how I look at it. Yeah,
I like that you can have fun in your presentations, mm. even though, I mean, the, the topic is obviously really serious and it is disturbing and it's uh, overwhelming, mm. um, but somehow you manage to still be able to have fun along mm, the way. We have a lot of fun. We That's really do. obviously a bit of a survival tactic. It is. Yeah. Um, my colleagues and I, we would have a, a laugh most days, which people might find hard to understand. Some people think that we're just dour and uptight and angry all the time, but we actually have a lot of laughs yeah. between us. Yeah. And that helps us to, to keep going as well. It's, it's very life-giving and, and sustaining to have a bit of a laugh. And I do try to include some humour in my presentations for my own sake and for the audience as well. So tell me about your new book. Mm. Um, what mm -hmm. led to you deciding mm -hmm. to pull that together? Well, with all of my books, I've tried to tell stories that haven't been told. I've tried to provide a platform for voices that uh, are silenced. And uh, myself and Dr. Caroline Norma decided to uh, curate a collection of stories of women who have left the sex industry. We hear the happy hooker narrative, so-called happy hooker narrative, all the time. And uh, the sex industry interests uh, get a lot of attention and there's not much critical analysis applied. And we thought it was time to hear from women who could speak from experience about what the industry was like. So we put the word out and we published 20 first person accounts, survivors accounts, it's a global collection. And it was just a privilege to publish these women's stories, just amazing stories of survival. Uh, there were some significant themes that arose out of the book. One was the the lack of choices, the, the pre-existing vulnerabilities that often led women into the industry, poverty, marginalisation, homelessness, uh, drug and alcohol issues, family uh, breakdown, child sexual abuse was a major factor. Uh, child sex abuse was described by one contributor as the, as the boot camp for prostitution. So those pre-existing vulnerabilities that often made women just easy pickings uh, from the industry. Then there was the extent of the violence within the industry, an extraordinary level of violence against uh, women within the industry by the Johns and the punters. So we exposed that. And then there was the theme of the lack of exit programs for women who want to get out. Surely uh, we can find common ground here that any woman that doesn't want to be in the industry shouldn't have to be in it and should be helped to get out of it. So that was a major theme as well and so myself and my colleagues are advocating for uh, exit programs in Australia. There's not uh, one ongoing government funded exit program in Australia mm -hmm. and we think that's an absolute outrage. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're, we're pushing pushing for that. Mm. So yeah, that's that's the new book. Just uh, like I've been thinking in the last couple of weeks about Australian society, like on mm. one level I can see that there is change, there is language mm. that Collective Shout is using that is starting mm. to be used in the media and yes. there is a recognition that, mm. that porn is bad, mm. it's not funny anymore mm. Yes, um, and that objectification of women is bad and violence mm. against women is bad mm. and yet somehow at the same time mm. as that increasing our society mm. seems to be also mm. increasing in the level of objectification of women. Yes, that's because nothing's been done about it. regulation. So. A conversation has started, which is great. 
but when push comes to shove, governments don't want to regulate. Because it costs them money or votes or...? There's this idea that if you intervene, if you regulate, if you say have some restrictions on the internet for example mandatory filtering that this is a nanny state and I'm just so tired of hearing this because I believe it's just actually good ethical government to regulate things that are harmful and it's not and it's not big government it's not big brother it's not a nanny state it's just good ethical government and that's what we want our elected officials to do and they should be protecting the most vulnerable that's what we want them to do and our kids and our young people are vulnerable so also governments are often beholden to corporates, to big business, to sex industry. They profit from the sex industry through licensing fees and often they're beholden because we know that MPs are often clients of the industry. Yeah. So there's all of those, those factors that can make it hard to get, to get change. But, you know, we're working on it. We're building a constituency for change around the country and more people are speaking about it and there's more media coverage and uh, we have more inquiries now. There's one currently into the harms of pornography to children, which is unfortunately on hold because we had this little thing called a federal election. We are hoping that parliamentary committee will be reconvened so that that inquiry can, can conclude. But yeah, we just need to keep up the, the momentum mm. for change to happen. And you don't ever like you don't ever get sort of overwhelmed that there's so much money on the corporate side, mm. so much um, mm. they benefit so much. Of course, well the porn industry alone is worth 100 billion US a year. Yeah. 35 billion of that is child pornography, so it can be overwhelming. Uh, globally, globally, yeah, it's up there with drugs and weapons in terms of profit. Look, can it can be, but you yeah. <laughs> well, I can't afford to be really, mm. yeah can't afford to be overwhelmed by it. You just tackle it kind of one day at a time and one issue at a time and try to build momentum and bring about change. And we have seen we have seen some things change. So. Well I think quite a lot. Like when you mm. add them all up. Mm. Collective chat has had lots of Yeah, we punch wins. above our weight really. Yeah. yeah. We have seen we have had some big wins against some big corporations. Yeah. And we've had, you know, so-called dating artists kicked out of the country, visas refused. Uh, we had a major rap artist decide not to tour because we ran a major campaign against him. Uh, we saw Zoo magazine cease publication as a result of our campaign. Um, you know, big brands, big names, and we're just hoping that we want to see, you know, we're very reactive, but we want to see we're being proactive in terms of our corporate social responsibility pledge and we're in discussions right now with a major corporate in the hope that they'll sign our pledge not to objectify women and sexualise girls. We want this to be taken as seriously as fair trade, fair wear, fair chocolate, you know, fair fashion campaigns. This should be as, at least as serious as those campaigns. I think that sounds by the way. I mm. about it today. I mm. think it sounds, mm. It's great to be doing the positive and it's exactly. the way they work, isn't it? Exactly. Like to have the badge. Yes, and, that's right. Yeah. That's right. It's a good way of calling them to account. Yes. I'm not sure if you're able to um, explain this, but how does um, being a Christian make a difference in what you do and how you do what you do or how you think about this whole issue? 
Collective Shard is very diverse and a very eclectic movement. We have all kinds of people involved. Some are of faith and some aren't. But we come together on this on this common cause. The attitude of Jesus to women was is pretty radical, and I don't think we fully understand how radical his teachings were in regard to women. But, you know, um, I think anyone that cares about the treatment of people, that cares about justice, that cares about human rights and and human flourishing. You know, should be concerned about this issue in that what way. What keeps you going and having mm. the energy to do? Mm. Well, I try to take time out. I hike. I disappear into the wilderness with a pack and without a phone, and no one knows where I am. I Except for me. I love you doing just that. told me <laughs> to Magnetic Island. No, that's true. I gave you much away. <laughs> post um, event. Okay. That's post. That's right. Okay. Um, I debrief. I have very good friends. I'm very blessed with very good people in my life. I do yoga, which helps calm me down. And uh, I, I uh, try to take time out for uh, spiritual reading and spiritual reflection. I try to yeah, just look after my, my mental and spiritual and, and physical health to be able to keep doing the keep doing the work but I was kind of forced to do that because I got pretty burnt out a couple of years ago and I uh, sort of learned the hard way that I needed to look after myself and take time out so I try to um, yeah, do things that are life-giving and, and sustaining and that look up after every aspect of my life I suppose mm. yeah like a lot of my Christian friends care about a whole lot of issues mm. um, and it can be a bit exhausting to think about acting on every issue that you mm. care about or mm. even being aware of, mm. of every issue that mm. um, is damaging to people. Mm. Um, but if people do care about this particular issue, mm. what do you reckon is one thing you could recommend that they could do either in their churches or in mm. society? Well, we encourage people to act personally and act politically, acting personally, not buying the stuff you know someone is buying all this stuff uh, and fueling a demand for more of it so anyone that upholds the dignity and value and worth of women and girls shouldn't be buying anything which sexualizes them which objectifies them which eroticizes violence against women which is demeaning and and degrading and contributes to the second class treatment of women second class position of women Acting personally, modelling healthy relationships, modelling uh, respect, you know, praising girls for things other than their physical appearance, stopping boys, preventing boys from sexist behaviour and comments and, and jokes in the family and body judging and shaming girls for their weight or what they're eating, not tolerating violent video games, not tolerating violent music, all of those things, acting personally acting politically, calling out the corporations, marketers, advertisers that objectify women and sexualize girls, contacting your MP, signing change.org petitions, joining Collective Shut, obviously I'm going to say that, collectiveshut.org, we make it easy for people to protest. Well it does, because when you say, you know, mm. calling out corporations, mm. I think the average punter just goes, mm. oh, what can I do, how yeah. do I do that? I mean, yeah. some people can yeah. rock up to a... Yeah. 
a shop and say, sure. hey, this top is not okay, but yes. if they join Collective Shout, I mean, yes. I know I have, and so every time a petition comes up, you can go, mm. you can sign it. If, That's if right. you're super busy, at least you can sign it. It takes a few seconds. Yeah. And uh, some people ask, you know, are petitions really effective? We know they are. Yeah. The beauty of the change.org petitions is that every time you take a few seconds and sign a petition, the company concerned gets an email in their inbox. And so we are stuff in their inboxes with thousands of emails. Sometimes, you know, Wicked Campus, 139,000 signatures against Wicked Campus, for example. So they are, but Byron Shire has cracked down on them. Uh, Brisbane is talking about some kind of a, a crackdown. Tourist parks are refusing them entry. So at least there's a movement. It's taken a long time. Like we've been campaigning on Wicked Campus since day one. Um, so it is effective. It is effective. You know, that's why we're a collective. We need as many voices as possible to, to have an impact, to work for social change and cultural transformation. And so we would love your listeners to sign up. Talkingshout.org and get involved.